Okay, hold on a sec. Um, let's see. Just gonna fix this real quick. How come I can't make it go? Oh, here it is. Yeah, right there. Welcome to Peggy's Recovery Corner. My name is Pej, and today I have a special guest. His name is Garrett Brockman. Welcome, Garrett. Welcome to the corner. Hey. Going on. Good to see you here today. I've been uh we talked about getting you on here a while back. Um I you're a good man. I've I've met you before, I've come out to your facility, but I want to hear your background. I want to hear uh your what it was like, what happened, and obviously what it's like now. So for some reason you're blurry right now. Hmm. Yeah, trying What's to figure on? that out. Uh, do you think it's your internet? There, oh, there you go. go. Perfect. All right. So tell us about yourself, Garrett, uh, you know, where you grew up, your, your childhood, all that, and uh, what all happened? Uh, yeah. So I grew up in uh, Cincinnati, Ohio, uh, right outside of Cincinnati. There's a town called Westchester. Uh, that's where I grew up. Uh, it's about halfway between Dayton and Cincinnati, uh, you know, geography too well of that area. Mm -hmm. um, I grew up with two alcoholic drug addict parents mm -hmm. um and uh a lot of fighting a lot of dysfunction um i remember the first like sleepover i had with like a friend being like oh your parents don't fight all the time that's not normal like that was a weird thing for me i i didn't expect that to be something that happens um i just thought it was normal um and uh my dad was like pretty pretty big in the dot-com boom um and then like that crash happened in like the late 90s and so he lost a bunch of money and tried to keep mm -hmm. up and just was constantly struggling uh financially and fiscally and my mom was working but my, my parents were both very like alcoholics that worked jobs that like kept face, but like would just get hammered at night. Mm -hmm. um, and so growing up in that environment, um, I uh, I quickly kind of realized how things work in, in the alcoholism spectrum of things. Mm -hmm. um, my, when I was 13, I think is when everything kind of started to really change. Um, my father uh, committed suicide, um, due to kind of substance abuse issues, financial issues, a bunch of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, committed suicide. And then um, a year later, my uncle who had 10 years sober, uh, it was like a year and like four days later, like the, this was September 13th. And then and then uh, a year later in like September 17th, the next year was when my uncle actually relapsed and died from an overdose. Wow. Um, so very quickly, I kind of realized the scope of addiction and what can happen um, mm -hmm. and uh, and just kind of uh, saw that. And then from there on, you know, I started kind of I briefly picked up straight edge because I was in the punk scene and and I, I kind of I found this music that was aggressive and angry and I was aggressive and angry and I, I loved mm -hmm. it. Um, I loved the, the values that were in punk music and, and the values that were in the hardcore scene. And these mm -hmm. people became family for me uh, in that time. So I was probably around 15 at this point. And uh, that was still in Ohio, right? 
Yeah. And, uh, and during that time, I really like, I, I was in a band. I did a bunch of cool stuff with music. And I just felt like those people got me. Like those people were my family. If I didn't have 20 bucks to go to a show, I would get in for free. You know, they were basically like, if I wasn't at a show, people would text me and be like, where were you? Why weren't you at the show? And at that right. time, this was early 2000s, um, th that scene was really explosive uh, in the right. Midwest. So it was it was kind of a huge thing to do. It was like, you go to shows. Um, mm -hmm. And so I started to find alcohol. Um, my mom was in and out of treatment during that time. Um, Did you and, have any siblings uh, at that time? So I, I have, I'm basically the only child from my parents' marriage, but I have yes. two brothers from my mom's first marriage and a brother from my dad's first marriage. So my parents uh -huh. met, it was both their second marriages. It's a little mm -hmm. confusing, uh, but I have three brothers um, and, uh, and we basically have different families, um, all together, but, um, uh, they're all pretty close with me even now. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, my brothers were a huge influence on, on music for me. Um, they were also my, my brother. So my brother, David at that time moved from, um, Australia. He was living in Australia where his dad was, um, and when he heard that my father died and that my mom was kind of a mess, he kind of was like, I'm gonna be the only male figure that's gonna help this kid. So my brother came back and we lived together with my mom who was in and out of treatment. So it was a little touch and go um, where she, when she was there. Um, and uh, we started kind of, I, I think that male figure bonding was the only time that was a really good thing for me because it was the only time I really had like a normal person um, that could, you know, take me like we would just go to diners and talk late at night um, and read philosophy. And then one of the first, the first tattoo I ever got actually was uh, saying my brother always said this without struggle, there is no progression. Um, and, and navigating being a teenager and being in the Midwest and all these things that, you know, are just awkward as they are. And you add alcoholism and family addiction and all of that. And in this perfect Midwest town where everyone knows everything about you. And, uh, you know, it just kind of exploded. So I started to party a little bit. Um, I started, it quickly got out of control. Um, you know, I remember being 16 and, and waking up to, to pants soaked in piss. Cause I, you know, drank a little too much, pissed yeah. myself in my sleep yeah. and, you know, just shit that was awful. Um, and, and quickly I, I realized, like, I remember I took a Xanax once and like woke up with some like naked girl in my face. And I was like, this is cool. But like, I don't know how I got here. Uh, this is a weird thing. Like I don't, and I never really liked that part of it. Um, and then I, I started kind of recreationally taking Adderall and, and stuff that offers and uh i didn't like weed i never liked weed it wasn't a thing for me uh i'm always sleepy and tired um and hungry so those kind of things that make that more of a thing kind of bumps right. me out like i'm really not a fan of that and then i kind of bounced around i would go on like little tours and stuff with bands that it wasn't anything glamorous it was like a, a, a 
short bus or something that my friends bought from some guy for like two grand and we'd go on tour. Um, so yeah. I always tell people like, Oh, I went on tour. And then I'm like, hey, it wasn't, it was like a, a, a little school bus. Like we were kind of just making ends meet. Um, and then I kind of was back and forth from my family in Florida. Um, so I go to Florida. Uh, mm. I was always trying to get out of where I was um, because I thought that if I change my place, which I later found in Alcoholics Anonymous, that that's a very standard alcoholic thing is like mm -hmm. geographic changes. Uh, I was like, oh, cool. I'll just move to Florida. It's fine. And then um, that quickly got out of control. And a buddy of mine there was like, hey, you know, I know this guy who sells cocaine. And uh, I was like, yeah, that sounds cool. And I kind of, that was like the immediate start of downfall where. And how old were uh, you doing that? Then? I was like 17. Um, 17 around that. Uh, mm -hmm. And then that was when things really started to uh, quickly fall apart. Um, didn't have a lot were of you, money. Were, so you not like, in, were you not in school during this uh, time at all? Yeah, so I I dropped out my junior year. Because um, uh -huh. part of it was like my mom was in and out of rehab. And then like we kind of just like, I don't know, I, I just stopped caring. And it, this isn't on my brothers, but I had two out of three brothers that like didn't graduate. And they were, I thought they were fine. They weren't at the time, but like, uh, to me, I was like, well, you don't really need this. Um, and I also felt, and I still feel like to me, high school was very, I'm a very intellectual person. And so right. I'm like reading like Voltaire and, and like crazy, like uh, psychology and, uh, you know, crazy philosophy stuff that I'm like right. in these classes that just don't make any sense. Um, mm -hmm. So I was kind of just bored. So I I dropped out. Um, well, I didn't technically drop out till my senior year, but um, uh, I just kind of stopped going. Um, and they kind of just accepted that. Um, and I, I moved to Florida for a bit. And then when I moved to Florida, that was when, when cocaine became like a, a really big piece of my life. Um, and it, I liked that because it was like, oh, cool. It, cocaine's a drug to me where I could pseudo kind of control it if that makes mm -hmm. sense um where like to me there's this this shift of like oh well if i'm like if i have to go see a family member i can just like put it away for a few hours uh, mm -hmm. and then i'll be fine like even to this day i feel like i don't like not having some sort of control um that's just like a thing i have where don't like, say you no. yeah yeah. It's just like, I can't, I can't like, like even, even when friends go like to this day, if we're like, go like the other uh, two months ago, we were going to Palm Springs for a weekend trip. And I was like, no, I'd rather like have my car. Like we can go with friends, but like, I just like, it's like a security thing for me where like, I need oh, to I have that. my things. I get that. Yeah. Um, so for me, that was like, I could just kind of shut it off for a minute um, and then go back and do it at like nine o'clock. Uh, mm -hmm. so it was like, oh, cool. If I need to see family and save face or like go uh, do a show or whatever. And for a while there, I was just like doing merch and stuff like selling t-shirts at a booth and thinking I was really cool. It was kind of just like, I hadn't showered in a week and really was borderline <laughs> homeless. Uh, and then, uh, from there, I kind of, I kind of just started to, um, 
to really think about getting sober. Um, my story is interesting because I, I did get sober at a young age and I only partied for a few years. Um, and I attribute a lot of that to um, the fact that I watched my mom go through treatment. I watched my dad die and I watched my uncle die. And I knew from that point that like, I was not gonna make it. Like this was not in the cards for me. Um, it just was gonna be impossible for me to actually live and function and be a part of the drinking and drugging world. Um, so how, and I was so gonna how go old this were you? When you got I was eighteen, uh, border of seventeen, eighteen um, was kind of when I I was going to go on this tour, um, and then they were like, "You're loaded," and uh, no, um, <laughs> you you're taking money and you're just kind of crazy, um, and so I I kind of and my mom was out here, so my mom originally is from Southern California. My mom was born and raised in Orange. She went to El Medina High School, close to Orange there. Mm -hmm. So um, my mom was out here, my grandma's out here, um, and she was out here in Salvation Army because my grandma kind of told her like, hey, the uh, the treatment funds are up, so we've sent you all these nice rehabs. And this was pre-insurance covering rehab. This was like right. the days of like, it's 10 grand, pull the second mortgage out, cash we'll figure pay. it out. It like, cash pay yeah, yes. like you don't do this. Like people um, would put up their house to be able to put their kid in treatment. Yeah. And so, um, you know, at the time my mom was like, I don't know what I'm going to do, but uh, she had to get out of the Salvation Army around that time. And she said, you know, we're, I'm going to get an apartment and you can figure it out with me and I'm going to meetings. So if you want to go to meetings, here's an option. And my grandma kind of told me like, hey, the treatment funds are dry. So um, we devised a plan and I went to Orange County and uh, there's a, a, a family center in Tustin. And uh, mm -hmm. there's a like a I think it's technically like a women's center, but they do like families as well. Right. Um, and uh, they had the, an intern therapist that just, you know, I had seen a lot of therapists in my teenage years and my mom, and that was a whole thing. But this lady was just, she was good at what she did. And I just told her like, I don't know what I want to do, but right now I'm going to be sober just to get my family off my back and kind of figure it out. Um, and we started going through the trauma. And I remember the first session I had with her I told her kind of my background, my dad died, this and that. And she goes, I just want you to know that you're basically telling me all these traumatic events, like you just went to Disneyland yesterday. Um, so what we're gonna do is break down those events and talk about them. And mm -hmm. I did not wanna do that, um, which was not fun, but I started to do it. And, you know, I kind of was like, I was very ambivalent, but I was like, hey, you know what? I'll try it for a little bit. Uh, I had no true intentions of actually staying sober, which is the funniest part about it, given my situation now. Um, mm -hmm. I kind of was just like, yeah, I don't really have friends here, so I guess this is cool. And I was going to enroll in school there. And then they were like, well, you have no credits, so you'd have to like go to a secondary school. And that's not really good in California, so you should probably just get your GED and go to college. So I got my GED, and... I had like three months sober at that time. And that was really 
good for me because at the time I, I think it really helped me know that I was smart because I felt like I wasn't smart at all. Um, and I was like, I'm not going to pass this thing to this day. Like I hate math. Um, like I'm not a math person. Mm -hmm. And uh, um, I passed the GED somehow. And then uh, I remember I was going to go to, I, I was going to do college and I was like, well, I wanted to go to hair school because I was like four months sober. And I thought that would be really cool to meet girls uh, because a straight guy at, uh, you know, hair school would be really Doing awesome. Hair. Yeah, um, for sure. yeah. I was like, this would be great. And then my family was like, you're insane. No. Um, and then uh, they were basically like, Hey, you can go to community college or uh, you can go to this like drug and alcohol counseling program. If that's what you want to do. Cause I always was good at talking to people and, and like one of the, one of my favorite things about being in a band was like people talking to me about lyrics I wrote or something I did and like how like the, those bands that changed our lives and, and you know, right. things like that. So I was like, well, I like talking to people. So yeah, I could probably do that. And so I went to a school for drug and alcohol counseling and I was like, yeah, this is cool. I get to learn about drugs all day. Like worst <laughs> case scenario, I get to learn during about this, drugs all during day. This time, had you already kind of, made a decision. I mean, you were young, right? You were like 18 years old, right? During this yeah. time? Yeah. Had you already made a decision? Like, I'm not going backwards anymore. I'm just going to stay sober. Like, was this an absolute decision no. or you were kind of still on the fence? No, I was on the fence. Uh, I was on the fence probably until year one. Um, and then about, um, I would say I, so I finished schooling and then I interned at a place uh, that is now called Northbound. Um, mm -hmm back in the day um, when it was National Therapeutic Services. It was a smaller, way smaller program. I remember. A lot of different people N there. That's yeah. right, NTS, they called it. Yeah, and uh, yeah. I interned there, and then I uh, I, I entered this weird, uh, like, relationship with somebody back in Florida and decided I would go back to Florida for a little bit. Um, and that was when I, I, I kind of committed to sobriety at this point, but I definitely manipulated that situation to be like, yeah, this is really toxic and wrong. But there was like a crazy girl, it was a crazy situation. And I moved in like the height of like the recession reeling. And like, I was like, yeah, I'm gonna move to Florida and get a job. And that didn't really happen. And then we broke up. And so my mom was actually two years sober at that time and we did an actual parent thing um and basically was like hey you made a decision you can't really come back here so make your figure it out and so i had to go to ohio again for two years and figure out what i was going to do um, and this is, this is your started, early 20s yeah and i uh i started back DJing. in ohio yeah and uh I started DJing because I kind of I started to kind of get into that world too. Back in that time, a lot of the, the hardcore kids, especially in Southern California, we go to a show and then you'd you'd kind of end up at a rave or something. And uh, so, what were you DJing? Uh, like, was it house music? Was it techno? I mean, you went first. From punk, it was punk music to DJing. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, and at <laughs> first it was it was house music, and then I kind of just opened my. Uh, I started DJing in Cincinnati and Cincinnati is very uh, hip hop oriented place. So mm -hmm. yep. uh, I kind of started playing top 40 and stuff like that and started playing at all these bars and that became kind of a thing. And 
I started to kind of do that as a job, which was really cool because my rent was like 400 bucks. So I was like, cool, I can make that in one night of like DJing a club. Um, yeah. So I, I did that and I, I did it for a while and it was really fun. Um, as a sober person, I, uh, I definitely, I went to meetings out there. I went to meetings in Florida um, and I just, I did the best I could with like when situations arise where I was like, all right, this is getting a little weird. I just get out of there. Um, but uh, yeah, it wasn't all awful. And then, um, and then a, an opportunity presented itself where I was like, well, I can go back to California um, and kind of rebuild my life there. And, you know, with the counseling thing, like once you get your KDAC, you can't really do it. You can't move out of California for like until you do like 8,000 hours or something. Right. So I was like, well, I guess I'll just like go into that. Um, and uh, I went back to northbound at the time and just said hey remember me well that's cool i'd like a job here that'd be cool and i didn't have like my full kdac yet so they were like yeah we'll make you attack and i made not a lot of money and just did my job there um and lived down in orange really county during that time yeah and uh, my so my How mom's job she i was 21 21 at that time uh, my mom's job at the time was pro she was a property manager. That's like her trade. So like mm -hmm. she got a free apartment to like, that's how we were able to like do that was she was like, oh. well, I have this extra bedroom because I have a, and she had like this house, this apartment in Huntington beach. So it was like a two bedroom out of close to the water. So mm -hmm. like, yeah, cool. I'll do that. Um, and then I just started really thinking about getting into this field, um, into the field of, of addiction recovery. I, I thought, you know, I've always kind of lived this alternative uh, viewpoint in sobriety where it's like people are kind of like, well, you know, as a DJ, people are like, well, you, you know, get your, you go near a barber, you're going to get your hair cut. And I was like, well, no, I'm doing a job. Like, and I always felt like I felt different than, and this is such a standard thing to say, but it's like, I felt like that this was pre all the new young people getting sober and stuff where mm -hmm. our industry was mostly older people. And I was like, there really isn't a voice of like young people that are fun that like, don't just like go to meetings and go home every day. Like that doesn't seem like living to me. Um, right. And God bless you if that's what you do. But like, I just don't feel like that's, a, that's not going to be awesome for my sobriety. Um, yeah. And I started kind of developing my, I, I became a counselor there and, and started developing my skills and started like working on my life and, and getting my stuff in order. I was DJing with a, a few friends here in LA um, on the weekends and just kind of like doing that for fun, um, but not like a full-time gig. Um, and I got to DJ a bunch of cool parties, which was awesome. Um, and uh, mm. you know, stay sober during it. And I got to meet some idols of mine and some people that like, like even before I, I moved, I ended up, I was able to actually meet like DJ AM, who's a big influence in my life of sobriety, even if he relapsed, um, you know, being able to DJ and be as successful as he was in open format and kind of does the same thing I do. And um, being able to kind of see that world from the lens of someone who's sober was really cool. Um, I love I, it. I don't know. Love I mean, it. 
I think for me, it was always about, you know, I'm always like at that point, I, especially when I got a year, um, it was like about almost like proving people like this, this almost punk rock mentality of like, you don't think I'm going to stay sober? Well, fuck you. I'll stay sober in, in spite of yeah. you. Like, yep. and, yeah. and uh, this is like, it became more of like, a, you know what? I need to do this because this is going to make my life better. Um, and I, mm -hmm. you know, worked with a sponsor, did the steps. I did what I need to. And, you know, I also like, I, I don't believe in any gods, um, which was very odd, at the, especially at the time. Things have mm -hmm. definitely changed in the last, 12 years since I got sober, but, um, yeah. you know, I was going to meetings and being like, I don't know about all this, man. I, uh, I'm not into the God stuff. And like, were you the atheist, were you the atheist in the corner? Yeah. Yeah. 100%. And, uh, just sitting there being like, I don't know about that. I'm just kind of, I don't think I'm sober because of God. I think I'm sober because I made it a, a better decision for my life and did some therapy. And I had a lot of traumatic, situations that occurred in my life and i worked on those and did better and grew from those experiences um and that's kind of where i saw myself you know going and i i always think of uh i'm gonna mess up the quote but uh this guy henry rollins he's one of my idols love uh, him. i'd love love to meet him one day uh but he always says like you know you think it's something about uh, there's some famous quote from him that's about uh, you know if you want to make your your parents you want to get mad at your parents like don't wrap your car around a tree because you're drunk driving like outwit outlast them uh, you know uh, do everything different from them if you're really that that person and, and that's kind of where I see myself like growing up in this very conservative uh, you know Midwest life um, and being different throughout that whole experience and being mm -hmm. the weird kid, the emo kid and like the punk rock kid and, and living that kind of lifestyle. Uh, I kind of just always was like, well, no, I'm going to, I'm going to outwit. I'm going to outlast this whole thing. Like it is vital for me to do this because every stereotype about my life is that I'm going to die stranded on the street drunk pissing myself being that person and so every day i wake up and i don't do that i'm defying the logics of society uh i pay rent now um weird things like that like it's an odd life to live when you get sober um because yeah. i i feel like you know if i didn't it would not be fun um nothing would go right and I, I kind of stuck in the program because people said, you know, try it for a year. And if your life doesn't get better, go do what you're going to do. And so that was kind of my goal. And then my life got better in a year. And I was like, well, this actually is kind of cool. I mean, I don't have to worry about wasting money. I don't have to worry about waking up and not knowing where I am. I don't have to, you know, figure out the awful things I did, the, the horrible person I was, mm -hmm. um, you know, that was a, a big piece of it for me. Um, my life got better. This is awesome. So, so many things I'd love to say. For, for one, I want you to know something, Garrett. When you talk, I listen like I'm enthralled. I, I really, um, I learn a lot from you, and I love that you talked on 
so many different points. Of, I relate to so much of it, the trauma, definitely the trauma. You know, obviously you had uh, some death in your family and you had people that weren't exactly, they were parents. They were trying to be the parents that they could be to the best of their ability. But uh, obviously when there's addiction involved, what do we have to learn from? So the fact that right. you were so young and made this decision, like I, I need to change my life. And then within probably a few years or maybe just a year and a half or whatever you were mentioning, you decided like, I'm, I'm just going to do this thing. Cause you, you, as a youngster, I mean, being 21 and being driven to go to school and like do well and, and become a drug and alcohol counselor and, and actually like work in the field of addiction for a lot of people, this field is it's challenging. Like a lot of people will come into yeah. it and, and get burnt out almost immediately. But you not only came in and did, you know, counseling and everything that you were doing, you, you also had a therapist before that, that was helping you. And then you learned how to help somebody else. I love that. You also talked about DJing and, and kids having fun. And I remember um, like way back in the eighties, when I was growing up in, in LA, I was in my twenties. Um, you know, the rave scene was huge. It was huge. Like that's just what we did. And they had plur and they, it was just like a place where people could do drugs, but they could also express their love, not just for each other, but for the music. You know, it was like a culture yeah. and that culture has gone on and on for decades now. But I remember when I was probably six or seven years sober, my sister was working for Insomniac and I used to know Pasquale from way back in the day. And and um, a friend of mine had approached me about starting uh, a young like a, an actual thing for young people where we could have a tent and possibly ask them to um, provide a space for us where it could be like a sober tent. So we started uh, putting the word out there. Let's get people that have at least a year of sobriety that, that love the music, that are still in love with the music to be able to come and be a part of this thing. It's called the Insomniac Consciousness Group. And sure enough, it, start, it began seven, eight years ago, and it's just gone on and on throughout a lot of music festivals where the kids don't have to constantly do it, as you say, just like go to meetings and then come home and do nothing with their lives. They yeah. actually can be involved in, and enjoy the music and and do it sober. Do it sober. You know, it's yeah. really cool. Like that particular tent, uh, they put a bunch of candy out on the table and they'll have meetings in the back and they don't call them Alcoholics Anonymous meetings. When they're having the meeting, they will identify as like Pej, grateful uh, music lover, uh, sober music lover. That's how they sort of identify themselves. And then people can just talk and then they go out on the dance floors or they go walk around and just people watch and shit like that. So I think yeah. that's wonderful. Now, uh, one thing that that um, that's truly amazing about—I mean, how old are you right now? Thirty. Thirty years old. Truly amazing is the fact that you ended up not just working in the field, but owning a place. You have a, a yeah. I'll talk about that a little bit, like how that even happened. So, so uh, I was working for a place in Malibu. Uh, I was running this outpatient. Um, and uh, I basically, the, the kind of how it transpired was uh, I was going to move up to LA because uh, I just, a lot of my friends were up here. The people I started hanging out with were up here. And then uh, I got an offer to, to run this outpatient. Um, and then a few, I would say a year after that, um, somebody basically that, that company was selling uh, to a corporate conglomerate. And um, I, did not enjoy corporate conglomerate treatment. Um, people that are a part of that, that's awesome. But working in it was very difficult at the time. The company no longer exists because of the corporate structure of that place. So right. um, not going to say who it is, but yeah. Um, and uh, I was going to start this I, this plan with one of the guys I was working with. 
Um, we kind of off hours, we're meeting up and, and planning like, well, we should make this thing a reality. And then uh, we both kind of didn't want to, I, I don't come from money. So that was really difficult for me. And he didn't want to put in a bunch of money. And then um, one of our friends said, oh, these people want to buy this name off of you. Um, so we met with them and then I was like, oh, you, you guys really don't know what you're doing. So why don't you just work with me and we can figure this out. And uh, that's kind of how it, it transpired um and it's been a, an awesome deal and we started in 2015 um and we're still going six years later you were 25 and, years old when you opened up your own center yeah and it's a I never told talk, anyone right? how old i was uh at the at the time it was an outpatient uh we closed the okay. outpatient in 2017 or 18 um because it just wasn't the the world kind of shifted but we had opened the detox um so that that had changed um, but that was, yeah, I mean, this is a, a big part of my life now is doing this work and, um, it's a, it's an amazing thing. And I just kind of always wanted to push the level up and, and do everything I can to get to the next level. And, um, another Henry Rollins thing I always think of is, is that, you know, I don't have talent, I have tenacity. Um, that's one of my favorite quotes is like, uh, you know, as talented as I, I may be, or as, as someone may be, it's also like, you tell me to do something, I'll do it. Like you, you, you don't think I can do it. Well, I'll, I'll make sure that you see that I am doing it. Watch like, this. Right. Uh, right. Yeah. Like I'm very much that person. Um, and that really transpired. And I, I think my sobriety was always about getting over adversity. So being young and running a program and doing all these things were like, I'm going to do this because I have to, because it's what makes me feel better about my life. It's what makes me enjoy life. Um, sitting here years later, you know, realizing that I have my own program uh, that I control and that I run and operate on a daily basis is, is awesome. Um, it is this awesome. is my dream. It is awesome. Um, to think that you had parents that were, caught up in addiction and alcoholism and, and the fact that you yourself got caught up in it for a bit, but at such a young age, you just full circle, just turn it around. It is totally yeah. fucking awesome. I think it's amazing that you, and and the fact that you didn't even really come from money or, I mean, even, even like educationally, you know, I mean, it's amazing yeah. how some of them will become drug and alcohol counselors, but take it to the next level and the next level. Cause I know when I was doing uh, like case management, I thought this is cool. It pays me better than my get well job but I'm not going to be able to live comfortably off of this. Like I got to take it to right. the next level and do some other shit. So I went into like interventions and things like that to where it, it made right. sense. I was always thinking about what comes next and how do I get to that point of like feeling comfortable in my life and where do I, you know, kind of wiggle around and, and no, I mean, that was something like is as much as my, my mother and I have a great relationship today and, and something I've learned in her life was like, you know, being a single parent, there were times where she would give me her last 20 and she wouldn't tell me. And I know now that value and, and that she did do that. Um, and so I always kind of committed to like, I'm not gonna live like that. Like I can't fathom the idea of, of living paycheck to paycheck or, you know, trying to make something work where I'm making $15 an hour because I have a GED um, yeah. and I end up getting my bachelor's degree and, and I'm, 
eventually going to go back from my, I was working on my master's and then I kind of stopped for a minute because student loans are a little rough and, <laughs> and then I'm going to go back and do that again. You, you're, you're an inspiration. You know, I have, uh, you already know, I mean, I have a bunch of places down in Orange County that are sober livings and I get a lot of youngsters that come through that are in their late teens, early, early twenties, or even mid twenties or even late twenties. But um, but I often tell them, like, I know people when I talk about people, I know it's people like you. I know people that are driven that come into this into this path of recovery and they they obviously they stay sober. They surrender to the process of, of staying sober and then they go out and they move mountains. They do a lot of shit because yeah. they have. That. I mean, yeah, growing up, a lot of people say you have a lot of potential. But like truth be told, like we do have a lot of fucking potential. Addicts and alcoholics yeah. are some of the most talented people when you actually take away the the trauma and the addiction and all the different things that come with it and get to know their real inner core, like who they are deep down inside and what their abilities are. And and, and so I often tell, I hope some of them are watching this. I'm sure they will. But um, uh, this is great, you know, to see your process from such a young age getting sober and staying sober. And now look at you, 12 years sober. And it's not just about owning a treatment center and all that. It's about leveling up like you're saying like i love that you're you're seeing what's next for garrett like what am i going to do next and and on top of that i believe that you are comfortable in your skin like you really yeah. have a good life you're a good dude yeah and i think you know especially you know like even i've been in a relationship for six years now seven years and like just even that transpiring as a normal, healthy human being, um, rather than, than living this life of, you know, just going back and forth and kind of, you know, not really investing yourself into human being and, and all of that. It's so, it's so hard, um, to live that way. And I, I lived that way sober for a while too. That was part of a story that I kind of drifted over, but like not fun when you're like not loaded and want to try to like, be like player and, and do all that stuff because you hurt people and it's not you know uh, i have not lived a perfectly life perfect sober life it's not just like got sober life is great it has right. been hard and there have been things we go through and it, it's it's not an easy route but it certainly is worth it you know like i've watched a lot of friends just go back into addiction again and to me that's just not an option because i know i will end up on skid row i will die I will end up just losing every single thing I love. Uh, and that's just not possible for me now. Like, I don't even, I think that's why I've never really had the relapse trigger uh, in my head is kind of like, that's not possible for you. The cards it's just not aren't there. Just not an option yeah. anymore. Like I can't, I can't possibly be that person um, because I'd let down so many people in my life, um, including my own career. Mm -hmm. uh, so for me, it's like, you know, being sober allows me to be the partner I always wished I was, the, the person I always wished I was, the friend I always wished I was, like uh, being there for people when they need me, not saying no to uh, people that, you know, need help. Um, and, you know, working through all the things that have given me sobriety. Um, I, you know, I have a unique situation to me where like, uh, meetings are a, a piece of it, but it's not all of it. And I think a big piece of my sobriety is being able to like 
be there for the ones I love and the people around me. And every day, those are the reminders of life is good. Um, you know, being able to look out and go, well, I, you know, I live in a nice place. I have a cool life. It's not bad. Uh, I can just kind of like show, you know, like, I can kind of go to work when I need to, like we were talking before the show, like today I was like, I had two meetings that were all digital and I was kind of like, I just going to stay home today. Um, that's cool. I get the ability to do that because I'm sober today and it's maybe not directly because I got sober, but indirectly that's why people trust me to do that. Why I trust myself to do that. One last question. I wanted to ask you this, obviously because you're a young man and, you get people that either whether they, they come through your center or you just interact with them uh, because they're coming back to recovery or they've they've been in and out. Obviously, we see this fentanyl craze. We see a lot of people overdosing and and mm -hmm. um, some of them go into coma. Some of them almost die. Some of them actually die and get revived and get brought back. What do you, as Garrett, say to somebody in that type of situation? Like, do you have any kind of way that you talk to them? Like, what do you say? I think I think for me that that whole thing is um, and it's just such a gamble. Like even cocaine and and all of that. I mean, I just saw something about cocaine laced fentanyl. It's all over LA right now or something. And it's like, yeah, man, it's such a such a Russian roulette. Like I don't, you know, I've had friends that have relapsed in situations like that. And you know, I, I when I do talk to them, I think the thing is is like a lot of people love you and a lot of people would be sad if you died. And even if it's something where you're thinking you can control it, it's, it's a big gamble because no one knows what's, especially in, in this world of like drugs that aren't opiates are filled with, you know, fentanyl now. Right. I don't, you know, I don't think I could even touch that stuff as a, even if I was using drugs, that's so scary. Uh, right. To, not know. Um, I, I think testing kits are super. If, if you're gonna, you know, I go from a harm reduction model because I do think part of that does work. Uh, where it's like, hey, if you're gonna do something, like test it, make sure you're safe. Like, don't be, you know, don't don't just take your dealer's word for it. And you know, I prefer you to get sober, and, and it's not worth dying over. Um, right. You're not proving anything to anyone by going into a grave. Um, it's not going to be good. Um, and watching people die that way, especially at a young age, it's like, yeah, I think that's a big piece of, of why I think the way I think is that, you know, my dad necessarily, you know, didn't die in the, the best terms. Um, and there were a lot of weird situations involved in it where it's, it's kind of mm -hmm. like when I die, I want people to remember, all the things in my legacy of, of being able to help people and being there for others and, and being a part of people's lives. Um, and I don't know, maybe it's morbid, but I think about that a lot where it's kind of like, you know, this is, this is the one to me, especially as someone who doesn't believe in a God is like, there is a 0.0001% chance of me being in existence on this earth. So I have to make the best of the time here. And by using some kind of drug that could kill me, could make that time so much shorter. And I'm here for such a short time um, that, you know, I want to make sure my life is lived to the fullest. And I think that's what I 
tell other people. It's kind of, mm. you know, you can live this life and it doesn't have to be, you know, it's not all that bad to be sober. I don't know. I, I've lived it for a while now and it's pretty nice. Yeah. I don't wake up with uh, a hangover, which is really cool. Uh, I don't yeah. wake up feeling like shit. Um, you know, I don't regret things I did the night before as much. Um, it's not as bad. And mm. I think people have this fear of like, if you get sober, your life's this painful existence and you have to deal with yourself and all this. And yeah, it's a little shitty sometimes, but you get through it. And, you know, without that struggle, there isn't progression. There isn't a change. Um, so I, I think that's a big piece of it. Um, you know? Awesome. Well, I appreciate you coming on today. Uh, love talking with you. I hope to catch up with you soon in person. And it's always good to hear from you. Anytime. Thank you Thanks, so Kate. much. Have a good one. You too.